Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, just wanted to get to the pause. That's all. Thanks for being here this morning. Happy Friday from the Mike Broomhead Show. If you have not subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, I invite you to do it right now. Simple to do on any device that you have. Never miss a minute of the show and listen at your convenience. This week, the Mike Broomhead Show podcast brought to you by my good friend, Carol Royce, Cut Williams Realty East Valley. Get a higher price selling your home. Get guaranteed cash offers. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. So let's talk uh, about Senator Cinema. I want you to hear more from her. She was on with Arizona's Morning News. She will be on with Gatos and Chad this afternoon in studio at 2 p.m. Should be interesting conversations to talk to the senator about the decision she made to leave the Democratic Party and register as an independent. Um, it's not going to change much about her. And I, I mentioned this in the last hour. And I, you know, I try to be as uh, you know when I'm when I'm proven wrong, I want to apologize and I want to admit that I was wrong when Senator Cinema ran for the Senate seat. I did not believe her when she said she was going to be independent just like Arizona. Um, Her track record when she was in the state legislature was very far to the left, and I thought that that's where she would go with that seat if she were to win it. I thought it was a political, kind of a political ploy to say independent. But what Senator Sinema tapped into at the time, thinking that it was just Politics, And I, that's the part of it that I, I was proven wrong about. It was not just politics. It truly was going to be her platform. Um, was I thought she was tapping into there are so many independent voters in Arizona that are frustrated with the political party that they used to be affiliated with. Or if they were never affiliated, they're just frustrated with both parties. And I can tell you from being immersed in the Republican Party as long as I was as a part of the Republican Party, but then being immersed in it with the other things I do politically, I can tell you I understand their frustration. There are, and, and to be, I want to be very clear about this. There are very, very good people in the Republican Party. And I'm talking about party leadership and people that are in the party that have power that are elected officials within the Republican Party. So this is not reflective of everybody everywhere, and it's not the same on the left. It's the same thing in the Democratic Party. But what you have is a disconnect, in my opinion. You have a disconnect with the average voter that would align themselves with you 90% of the time. 90% is not good enough. 80% sure isn't good enough, but 90% is not good enough. If you disagree with, you step out of line, you're out. That's it. You're out. I had some guy post on, it was so funny, some listener um, who is, and when I say that, I mean that respectfully, someone that listened, obviously, or he read something on Instagram I wrote, made a statement saying that I'm just another rhino that needs to be run out of Arizona. And I thought that's exactly what's wrong with the Republican Party. There's the perception of the Republican Party in Arizona. Almost 20 years worth of work, myself, dedicated to causes that the Republican Party stands behind in conservatism and everything else. I disagree with him on the stolen election, and I disagree with them on continuing the fight and not moving on to 2024. And then they decide, this guy, whoever he is, decides, I should be not thrown out of the Republican Party. I should be run completely out of the state of Arizona. 
And I say that respectfully because I think that's the approach that is driving people out of both parties. It's the reason why independent registered voters are the fastest growing demographic and the number one demographic in Maricopa County because so many people laugh. I laugh at people like that. I don't know who this guy is. I have no clue who this guy is. The chances of him running me out of Arizona are hilarious. This is the mindset of people. Oh, my gosh, you disagree with me? Get out. I hate you. You're evil. You're dangerous. It happens on both sides of the political aisle. But that kind of extremist thinking that you disagree with me, therefore you're a danger to the country, you're not patriotic, you're not even really an American, get out, is I think what drives people out of the political process. So when Senator Sinema tapped into the independent movement, um, she was a registered Democrat, had been as long as I know have known her. And um, was her voting record was pretty far to the left when she was in the state legislature, and I believe it was that way when she was in the House of Representatives. But that's her, those are her political beliefs. What she did was she said she's stepping aside to better serve Arizona. Um, she said this. I went. To, they asked her this morning in Arizona's Morning News, um, "What what do you want the outcome of this decision to be?" The realistic um, outcome for this is that I'll retain my committees and I'll continue to be an independent voice for Arizona. I'm going to show up to work every day as an independent, proud of the work I do for Arizona. And I'm going to continue working with my colleagues of both political parties and those who don't have a party, just as I always have. When Senator Sinema ran for election... Um, after she won the election, I said then, I said Senator Cinema has tapped into something that I think will be the roadmap for people in the Democratic Party across the country, which is Democrat small d. People don't really care about party. They care about issues. And you know as a registered Democrat you're going to get Democrat voters. But are you reaching out to the independents in a statewide race? And she proved that she did. And she won that race and became the first time Democrat well, in 70 years, I think, or I don't know how many years it was since we've had a Democrat senator in Arizona. And she won that race. And I, I gave her credit. I said this was a this was a course of action that was a brilliant way to get elected. Where I was wrong was believing that her voting record wouldn't necessarily or her actions would not necessarily back out that back up that that statement. But I've been proven wrong. And she's frustrated her own party at times because she wouldn't uh, help to defeat the filibuster. And uh, she stood her ground. And that doesn't mean that I agree with her all the time. We certainly don't agree all the time. Uh, And her and I have had conversations years ago about that. But what she has done is shown herself to be willing to step out of there out of line and say I'm not going to do that and then when her party criticizes her she takes the criticism and she does what she believes is right whether you agree with it or not she does what she believes is right she doesn't necessarily do what she believes is expedient so um She's proven that she could win an election the way she did this before. But will she now, let's say she decides she's going to run in two years, she's going to run for re-election. Do you believe that Senator Sinema now can get enough of the independent voters on her side to win re-election? Because that's, a, I mean, this isn't all about being re-elected, but that's a big question. You know, is she going to be 
like a Joe Lieberman, where she get, she garners the respect of the people of her state so much that her political party doesn't matter. The work that she does does matter. You know, there's a lot of things. If you go through her uh, her voting record as, as a Republican, you're going to look at her voting record and you're going to disagree with a lot that she does. Then you're going to look at the stuff that she stood up for that you believe in and think, you know what, without her vote, that stuff would not have happened. Or those things would have happened if she hadn't voted no. And it's just I, I just think that this is a great experiment for all of us to look at when we say we want to see things get done. And there is someone that has worked across the aisle, even though she comes from the opposite aisle from the side of the aisle from me. She reaches across the aisle. She gets her hand slapped by her own party. They censure her. They've threatened to primary her anyway. So she shrugs her shoulders and said, I've always been independent. I've represented the people of Arizona independently. And so I've changed my affiliation to independent so that I can do a better job of that. Will that work with the people of Arizona? And I'm anxious to see how the nation responds. I'm anxious to see how the country responds to uh, to her doing this. It should be I think it's, I know it's going to be fascinating. We're going to talk about the economy in just a moment. Jobless claims, wholesale prices, both rose in November. What does that mean in the coming days for the economy? We'll talk about that coming up in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Well, if Jamie's a Democrat this morning, she's crying. Let's just say that. Kirsten Cinema has left the Democratic Party and is registered as an independent. We're obviously going to get back to that coming up in just a little bit this morning. It's the biggest news story we've been working on. Um, let's talk economy for a few moments. U.S. jobless claims rise slightly in a tight labor market is one headline right next to that. Wholesale prices rose 0.3% in November, more than expected despite hopes that inflation is cooling. Um, those two things side by side don't bode very well for the economy. I've talked about policy. We can complain about the problems. But what is it that we are trying to do to ease those things? And what we're trying to do is slow the economy down, which also is going to lead to people losing their jobs. We are going to make people's lives a little bit tougher in some things. And listen, the working class has a right to feel not put upon, but the working class has a right to feel like they do get hit hardest. It is it is a fact of life that when you're on the lower end of the economic ladder, it impacts you more severely. I look back. It's weird now to be my age and look back at the times uh, when I was a kid, when I was kind of ignorant to things and ignorance truly is bliss and to try to put myself in my mother's position or put my mother in a position now where she was then. We were, you know, in a way, it's a weird thing to say we were fortunate, but when we were seeing the economy turn around, and the economy start to sprint, there were, you know, interest rates didn't help my mom because she wasn't buying anything on credit. But the availability of work, the availability to find a job, increase in wages, had we gone through a spike in prices in the necessities like fuel and food that we are seeing now, had my mother lived through that in the time when she was trying to get on her feet as a single mom, when my parents split up, um, it would have been devastating, and I, you know, I, and I'm not, I'm not uh, overselling this. I'm not overstating this. Our, our family very, very likely would have been homeless. 
Um, we had a roof over our head. We always did. We had food to eat. There's, you know, people helped us, but we were we were self sufficient. My mother was self sufficient, but you know, again, there were people that came along and helped us. Then gave my mother an opportunity to grow, and she did, which is why I'm such a big advocate for opportunity and not stifling opportunity. And the way that you provide opportunity for people is you have businesses. The the business owners have to have the freedom and the capital in order to provide opportunity to their workforce, to be able to pay them more money. And the the demonization of big corporate America or even business owners in general, I don't know when they start changing teams. Uh, I'll use one of my friends as an example. I have a friend named Bruce who owns a framing and drywall company. Um, and he's, I'll be honest with you, he was a mentor to me. He's been a great friend to me. And we've been friends long before I owned my own business. I was working for a company. He was right next door. But he is... He should be what every American holds up and says, this could be you. This was a guy that was a framer and a drywall hanger. He was a drywall guy, and he got laid off by a company, and so he went out and started his own little business. He went out and gathered some guys. He got a job, uh, bid a job, got the job, and then hired some of his laid-off buddies to work on this job. 20-something years later, he has a, a huge company with dozens of workers and does a lot of work around the state of Arizona and has become financially self-sufficient and has made a lot of money and is doing very well for himself, put his kids through college. And I look at that and I said, that's the American dream. In the 1980s, you're wearing a tool belt and you're on a job site. And in the 21st century, you're sitting in the office, you're working, and you're providing jobs for other people. That's the American dream. We look at the economy the way it is. Jobless claims are going up. People are tightening their belts. We are seeing the cost of goods still on the increase. These are the not good things for the American people. And what it does is it stifles opportunity for the working class. You know, when I, we, I've, I've mentioned this when, I've, when I was speaking public that radio is the weirdest thing for me. It was hard for me to get used to. And all these years later, it's still weird for me to sit in this soundproof room with headphones on and talk to myself. I wave my hands around. I talk like I'm having a conversation with someone, but I'm sitting in a room by myself. It's like getting caught singing in your car. So they tell you the trick is you're supposed to picture that you're talking to one person. Just picture one person that you're talking to someone. And I've always pictured someone in a work truck. I've always pictured somebody driving from one job site to another, somebody that gets paid by the hour, someone that works hard for them. And this is nothing against big business owners. I respect them too, but I relate to the working class. That's all I've ever been. And when these decisions are made and when businesses have to tighten their belt, it's the working class people that get hurt. Their job opportunities shrink up. Their paychecks aren't stretched far enough. They are one mistake away from a financial disaster. And it is frustrating. And, but the, the great thing about that is the hardest working, some of the smartest people I know, some of the most, uh, some of the biggest uh, pearls of wisdom that have ever been given to me have been given to me on job sites by people working in construction that just with life experience are some of the people with the most amount of wisdom I've ever been around. Giving those people an opportunity, it's amazing to see what they can accomplish. It's why I respect the trade so much. Everything I learned in the trade came from someone that was a tradesman or a tradeswoman. They taught me the trades. They taught me how to be in management in the trades. And it's all passed down. So when you're working for someone, 
in the construction world, chances are, chances are you're working for some from someone that's actually been there and been successful at it. That's why they're the boss. That's not the case in every industry, but it is in this in, in the construction industry. And these headlines are frustrating for me because it makes me look at the people in the working class that just want to be left alone to make a living. And it's frustrating when they can't. And I hope things turn around quickly. Coming up uh, just after 930, what is Black Guns Matter? It's an actual thing. Black Guns Matter. We're going to talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, if you have a pet that you love very, very much, we'd love to see a picture of your pet, and you could win a $100 gift card. Head over to the contest page at KTAR.com for complete details and to submit your pics of your pets. Um, There is a movement. And I'm just going to read from the beginning of this story. It says, we know about Black Lives Matter, Um, but there is a new group called Black Guns Matter. A Philadelphia high school dropout turned activist tells John Stossel um, that he got tired of hearing people's endless chanting Black Lives Matter, but saying nothing when it's time for black people to defend their lives. This activist carries a gun wherever he goes. He said, this is my human right. If anybody wants to come chase me down about that, let's go to court. He encourages others to arm themselves, especially people who live in high crime neighborhoods. So I I found this to be an interesting story because the uh, the gun control movement in this country um, is is strange to me. And I'll explain why in a moment. Here's here's a level of this. A proposal to auction guns pulled from the Phoenix City Council agenda. A council member, uh, Yasmin Ansari, argued that the sale of firearms. So when you when they confiscate guns, when they when they confiscate guns, it's required that you sell them to legal gun owners. You don't destroy the guns here in Arizona. So she argued that the sale of these firearms, which is required by state law, contradicts Phoenix efforts to reduce gun violence. And I laughed when I saw that. I said, that's really weird. If you had an auction and you sold off confiscated vehicles, would you be contributing to DUIs and crashes on the freeway? And people scoff at that. Well, no, honestly, selling guns to legitimate gun owners, how does that lead to gun violence? How does it contribute to gun violence? You've taken guns away from illegal gun owners. You've taken guns away from people that are not supposed to have them. And you've sold them to legal gun owners. How are you contributing to gun violence? Because if you're going to make that leap, again, when the city of Phoenix, when they confiscate and when they commandeer, and they take away people's property, whether it's because they've been convicted, uh, th- that property is property that they obtain through illegal means. You know, they've been part of a drug cartel or something else. So they forfeit that property. And some of that property at times are vehicles. When those vehicles get sold, nobody's saying, well, you know what? The city is by selling those vehicles. Let's even go. Let's go woke on this one. Every time you sell one of those vehicles, you're contributing to climate change because of the emissions from that vehicle. So we're not going to sell the vehicles because we're contributing to climate change or we're contributing to accidents on the roadway. We already have a lot of traffic. And when you sell those vehicles, now there's more traffic. It's because in the minds of gun control advocates, guns themselves are evil. They serve one purpose, which is not true, but at their core, 
They can be used to defend yourself or they can be used to commit an act of violence against someone else. But back to this uh, Black Guns Matter movement. This is someone that says, this is my right. I live in a bad neighborhood. I live in a dangerous place. And I've got, an, I've got a right to defend myself. And I think it's brilliant. I think that what you are hearing people say is I'm not, I'm not looking for trouble by virtue of owning a firearm. And that, that, that predisposed idea makes me laugh every time I hear it. I'm an excitable person. I'm an opinionated person. I've never shied away from a conversation or an argument. I'm argumentative with people and they get argumentative with me. I give you the same attitude you give me. I'm not embarrassed to make a scene in public. Uh, all of these things, not necessarily proud of it, but all of those things are true about me. Never have in my life have I brandished a firearm on a human being. Just because I own a gun doesn't mean I'm looking for a gunfight. Just like owning fire extinguishers doesn't mean I'm looking for a fire. Have a fire extinguisher in your house. You have smoke alarms in your house. You're just hoping your kitchen catches on fire so you can use that, that, that uh, fire extinguisher. What an absurd way to think. But that's the idea. That's what people think of gun owners. What do you need a gun for? Why do you need that gun? Why do you need so many guns? Why do you need – well, it's none of your business why I have anything that I have. But why are you focused on this? I can assure you of one thing. If you come into my neighborhood, I know a few of my neighbors, especially my next-door neighbor, Paul – um, armed to the teeth in a good way. If there's trouble in my neighborhood, I know that my neighbor is going to have my back. And it's not something that either of us hope for, but he's got a family. I live around people. I've got, a, I've got an elderly neighbor. Um, I don't ever want to brandish a firearm on a human being. But what I want less than that is to be in a situation where one would be necessary and not either A, having one, or B, being able to use it. And when you hear people now, this, this Black Guns Matter movement, and he's saying, listen, everybody keeps saying Black Lives Matter until it comes time for me to defend myself. When I say to you, I have a gun so I can defend myself if necessary, the gun control crowd comes out of the woodwork and says, no, less guns is what makes neighborhoods safer. Well, what ends up happening is the law-abiding citizens in the neighborhood, if you take guns away, are the ones without guns. The criminals still have them. And I just like this different angle on this. So the idea that the city of Phoenix, you got one city council member, and they've pulled this off the agenda. State law requires this. You sell all kinds of property that is confiscated in the city of Phoenix, forfeited property all the time. Now, all of a sudden, this is out because it's politically incorrect. It's contributing to gun violence. No, it isn't. It's, it's doing the, exactly the opposite. And anybody out there that's a gun control advocate, I would say this to you. You're not dangerous with a gun. Right? It is, it is dangerous people that are dangerous with guns. And we've got to change the mindset. City manager Jeff Barton was slated to ask the council to approve a contract with Sierra Tactical Auctions, a company that would sell guns that were legally confiscated by the Phoenix police or guns that were found but never claimed. The five-year contract would bring Phoenix about $150,000 a year in revenue. That's a drop in the bucket for Phoenix, which has a $6 billion annual budget and $1.7 billion in general funds. Um, $150,000 a year would cover the salary of an officer. So uh, 
He said, I'm, the, I'm voting no. It's a no-brainer. We should not be profiting off of weapons that may have been used in murders. It's disrespectful to victims and puts more lives at risk. This is what uh, Council Member Ansari wrote. So Operation Gun Crime Crackdown, a program launched in June, intended to reduce gun crimes as evidence of public policy disconnect. Now we might put weapons used in murders and suicides back into the public. We're voting no. Tell your council member to do the same. Um, completely and utterly disagree. And, and I mean this respectfully. This is the position of ignorance I'm always talking about when it comes to guns. The anti-gun crowd, the gun control crowd, generally speaking, nothing is 100%, but generally speaking, come from a position of ignorance when it comes to guns. They don't know gun owners. They don't know anything about firearms. They don't know anything about the process of legally obtaining a firearm. They don't know anything about it. And yet they're the experts on how they shouldn't be out there. I mean, go through the process. Go to a gun store and just walk around. Go to a gun store and go through the process of the background check to legally obtain a firearm. Talk to gun owners and ask them why they're gun owners. Have a reasonable conversation. I don't know that it'll ever change your mind about guns, but you won't make statements like that. That's for sure. Again, if there was a vehicle that Phoenix had taken in forfeiture that had been in a hit-and-run accident where someone died and they repaired the vehicle, would they not want to resell the vehicle because it killed someone? What an absurd way to think. In a moment, we're going to talk about Twitter. Did a former Twitter executive get caught lying to Congress about shadow banning and why is it important? We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Um, Before we get out of this, uh, I've been watching this stuff with Twitter, uh, again, uh, pretty uh, casually. Because for me, social media isn't that big of a deal. I enjoy it. I like Twitter a lot. I like the interaction. I like the conversation. Um... But I don't rely on it. So when if it went up in smoke, if if Elon Musk drove it into the ground and shut the whole thing down, it wouldn't change my life at all. Um, Other than I would miss just the interaction and the banter with people. But when they dig deeper and they release documents and they're talking about things that happen, this should concern all Americans. And what I mean by that is when we are not supposed to have anything close to a state-run media, and uh, I don't believe that we do. I think the majority of people in this country that are journalists are journalists. They want to tell the truth, and there are times they agree with some people that are in our government. There are some times that they disagree with people in the government, and they tell stories. And and I will tell you, I'm not a journalist, never have been, never claimed to be. Um, I am someone who gives their opinion every day, but I work with people that are really good at their job, that are journalists. These are people that source well, they double source, they check and they recheck and they make sure that they're accurate in the information that they're giving out. And that's our expectation of what the media is. We don't always like what they have to say. We don't always agree with what they have to say. But we expect them to tell the truth. We expect them to give you facts and then to be able to back those facts up. And I will tell you that I work with a news team in this building that does that all the time. And they want to get it right. They do get it right. And they work painstakingly to make sure they get it right. I say that because the people that own Twitter, which is not a news organization, it's a platform. But um, going back to here, I mean, and here's the headline. Here's how the CDC used a back channel with Twitter to control the COVID-19 narrative. You know, there's uh, all there's this huge political battle when it came to COVID-19. 
And it was uh, anybody who disagreed with the government's position was seen as an outlier and somebody that was kind of a little bit crazy, if not a lot crazy, a little bit crazy, a little bit nutty. Tinfoil hat wearer, conspiracy theorist, oh my gosh, follow the science. Follow, And then you, what you find out is that the narrative is being controlled. One of the things, you want to make martyrs out of people? Then do things like this. Start pushing down their speech. Every one of us, every one of us knows someone that has a different cure for the common cold. Everybody has different forms of cure. Everybody's grandmother had a recipe. What's happening here is when people are saying, I'm not taking that vaccine, it was pushed out too quickly. What's funny about it is it was the vaccine that was created under the directive of the Trump administration. And then it was Trump supporters that said, I don't want anything to do with that. And somehow that never made the connection that the very people that are loyalists to the former president are people that were the anti-vaxxers. They didn't like how quickly it was done. And they have every right to. That's my point is I don't I'm vaccinated. I'm boosted. I did it. I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but they have a right. Not only do they have a right to exist, they have a right to have their voices heard as much as you. And you can say what they're lying. No, no, no. They have a different opinion than you. There are a lot of doctors out there that are anti-vax doctors. And we gravitate toward the truth that we want to hear. That seems to be the American way as we gravitate toward the truth we want to hear. When somebody is saying, this is what I believe and here are the facts, everybody retweets that story that agrees with it. I get it all the time. If there's a YouTube video that tells your story, everybody on your list gets sent that story. But the fact is, we all have a right to coexist. And what's look, what it looked like on Twitter with shadow banning and the other things that now seem to be coming true with a former Twitter executive testifying before a congressional committee and saying that they didn't ban anybody. They didn't push anybody down. They didn't shadow ban anyone. The new documents seem to prove that they were. And see, in America, the concern we should have is not when a private company does these kinds of things. They have a right to do whatever they want with their platform. But if they go and they lie to Congress about it, that's different. But if we find out that a platform is working with the government, the Hunter Biden laptop story, the narrative when it comes to COVID-19, if you see these private companies working with the government, we all should be concerned about that. Because if it can happen to them, it can happen to you. I ask this question often because our political pendulum swings in both directions and sometimes very dramatic swings. And the same uh, country that voted for uh, Barack Obama twice voted for Donald Trump, and then they voted for Joe Biden. Now, you choose which of those groups of people you want to be making sure you're only hearing the truth. That's the point. If you're a Biden supporter and you only want to be told the truth as Biden says it, so they should have control and be able to control the narrative to make sure that misinformation doesn't hurt people and people don't die because of misinformation. What happens when Trump supporters get control, when they are in power, and now they are in control of making sure you only hear the truth? It is, it's something we all should contemplate and we all should be concerned about. What we're going to do just after 10 o'clock, um, we're going to talk about a pr- the prisoner exchange in the next hour for sure. Um, and uh, we are going to uh, talk about jobless claims and we get an update about an event that we're holding. We're going to talk to Christy from the zoo about a big event. It's all coming up.